As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you, Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam King, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? And the charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Hey, man, I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA national writer at The Athletic, here with one usual suspect, Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer extraordinaire, Kings, Lakers, Suns, et al. Uh, we got Eric Name in the house, Bucks beat writer, uh, who gets an award today. Uh, always willing to jump on the pod, but... Listen, I'm not in my playoff grind fully just yet. I got lucky. The Kings team that is in my backyard is in the playoffs. Have not stepped on a plane yet. Eric Name is living a different life. He was at the Bucks Heat game uh, very late last night, and uh, and I believe got maybe a grand total of 72 minutes sleep. Yet here he is, looking bright and bushy tail, I think the saying goes, and uh and and willing to jump on to talk about I don't boys, are we calling it a a miraculous heat win, a an epic bucks collapse, all of the above? My goodness, Eric, what a night at the arena. I mean it I think it has to be one of the more unbelievable performances I've ever seen. And I mean it, obviously, Sam, you know, we covered the Bucks championship run together in 2021. I saw some pretty unbelievable things uh, in in all of those games. You know, I saw Kevin Durant go for 50. I saw Giannis go for 50. Um, I mean, Jimmy Butler going for 56 last night. I, I'm still struggling for the words because it's it's not like the Bucks are a bad defensive team. Uh <laughs> 
<laughs> they're, That's a, they're, quite the understatement. <laughs> they're very good. Yeah. Uh, Drew Holiday, uh, just in our anonymous player poll, was overwhelmingly named the best defensive player in the NBA. Overwhelming. Yep. Uh, Brooke Lopez, Breach. just finished in the top three of defensive player of the year. Giannis Dedekumbo, former defense player of the year. I know, limited injuries. I get it. But still, that's a lot of really good defensive players. And I know some Bucks fans will say like, oh, well, you know, the first couple games they were letting, you know, Jimmy Butler shoot practice threes and all that stuff. That wasn't the case last night. They let Drew Holiday do everything that Drew Holiday likes to do. If he wanted to pressure Jimmy full court, he could. If he wanted to go over the top of screens, if he wanted to try to go for strips, if he wanted to switch. He could, all of those things unleashed. It, it did not matter. It did right. not matter at all. Jimmy Butler had buckets for everybody. He had buckets for Giannis in the first quarter. He had buckets for Chris Middleton. He had buckets for Brooke Lopez. He had buckets for Drew. Like it was, it was truly just an unbelievable for performance. And obviously, you're looking at what was. I'm not. It's not a must win until you actually have to win in my book. But man, if that wasn't a must win, that's about as close as it could have been. Uh, now the Bucks down 3-1, heading back to Milwaukee. They do have 5-7 and seven at home. Uh, but man, uh, you, you can't feel real great about what the Bucks are doing right now because they just don't have an answer for Jimmy Butler. There, Slater, there real quick, two, before, you, were, before you jump in, Slater, sorry. Yeah. Uh, quick preview for the rest of the show. We are going to dive into Lakers, Grizzlies, and, and then focus on Warriors, Kings at De'Aaron Fox News with his hand uh, is, is obviously a very big deal. Those three series, I think, are going to be front and center. We might have another special guest on the back end of the pod. Um, that's what's coming after this robust Heat Bucks discussion. Slater, go. There were just two moments during the game from my living room. I was, like, declaring it over, right? It was 15-5 early. Giannis has that memory. I think it was on Struess, just, like, spin dunk. And then I think he had another quick and one. And I was like, okay, he's back. Not only does this game feel over at 15-5, the series kind of feels over in some ways. And then that's when Butler kind of announced himself in the game, right? What did he have, 22 first quarter points, I think it was? When he had that drive and dunk on Giannis... Uh, you're just like, okay, that this Butler showed up tonight. Uh, and then he does that first quarter, he keeps it a game. But then again, what was it, end of the third, it was like 11. I had I had something I needed to do, but I was like, you know, can I declare this over? I want to see Lakers, Grizzlies. Do I have to watch this fourth quarter? Uh, and then there was that sequence. Caleb Martin I thought was really big during that little stretch too. But also when Butler hit the two straight threes, and what did that get him up to 50 at that point, I think? That one was like, oh, okay, this is going to get real tight for the Bucks down the stretch, and then obviously what happened happened. Listen, man, this this version of Jimmy Butler is wild. It's just wild. Like it gave me bubble flashbacks. It's funny, and and I'm gonna do. You know, we all like it when we we get so many predictions wrong. It's fun when you get something right. So this is the part of the program that Slater sees coming, where I'm coming down his road. It took. Five minutes. That's actually longer minutes, than I thought baby. it was going to take. Five minutes, Sam five gets minutes. to take his victory lap. Wow. Eric, he, he like I said on the, I said on the pod before, like, I just have it imprinted on me from the bubble. As you know, that like that Bucks team was incredibly shook by Jimmy and the heat. And there was a personal component. And, and for me, it's weird because I've enjoyed covering Giannis so much. And, but the arc of like one of his lower moments, when not only are you losing to the heat in the bubble, but you are getting serious scrutiny 
when it comes to the question of why you won't guard him in key moments during the game. And I remember sitting one of my favorite interviews in the bubble, sitting with Jimmy Butler at practice and getting a chance to ask him very directly, were you surprised that Giannis wasn't guarding you? And Jimmy's doing that thing that he masters, which is he doesn't really throw shade at people, but he he just very kind of passive aggressively, you know, puts all the scrutiny even more in their direction. So Jimmy was, you know, just living rent free in the Bucks' heads back then. And I know this is a different Bucks group. They won a championship. They grew up. They eclipsed all those moments. Also destroyed Jimmy Butler. Destroyed yes. in 2021. Yes, which is why on this pod, Mr. Katz and Mr. Slater thought I was crazy for thinking I, Jimmy still had that in him. Um, we'll see if they finish it. I'm going to now make the mistake of not respecting the heat enough. If we're handicapping... All of these, you know, as we talk today, there's three games tonight that are 3-1 series. So of all these 3-1 series, you know, I think a lot of folks might look at Heat Bucks and say, if any team can win three games in a row, it's Milwaukee. Again, especially with home court. Um, the numbers on that doesn't matter that much. But, you know, we, we've heard the stat about 95% of the teams that go up 3-1 win the series. Apparently that goes down a little bit if you have home court to 89%. Um, odds are mildly better, but the, the Jimmy experience is just fun, man. It is. It's fun. Like, you know, he's not that guy all the way through the regular season. Um, the playoff Jimmy thing that he pushes back against is very real. Um, and, uh, I mean, and he's pretty damn good in the regular season too. Uh, but it was, it was wild to watch Eric. Let me throw it to you this way in terms of bucks fans and what is for lack of a better way of putting it, pissing them off today. Um, one thing you certainly saw a lot of people talking about was during that late fourth quarter run, why does Bud not go ahead and, and call the time out there and slow it down? Yeah, I mean, I, I think over the years, and I got into this when I wrote that story about, you know, the user to lose the timeout, which honestly ended up coming up last night. Uh, the turnover that Giannis has to give Jimmy Butler the dunk that gives the Heat the lead, he was trying to call the user to lose the timeout. like. They were trying That's to right. yeah, you wrote call that. in the middle of the floor. They were trying to, you know, do the thing where they call the timeout and it would have been a one point game and Bud pointed towards the ref for the for the timeout. Giannis held the ball and looked at the other ref. They were about to call it. And then all of a sudden ball gets poked out and, and it goes the other way. But the thought process from Bud has always kind of been like, I want those timeouts late in the game. I want to be able to compose our guys. I want to get us ready for the final three minutes of the game. And without all that, like we want to play through runs. And there are some coaches that believe the exact opposite of that, right? Like pops. Gonna... Let me just, I'll just butt in here quick, Sam. I think it's pretty important to have timeouts late in the game. I think butt we in, learned that you're uh, in, in, in the Warriors Kings game the other day. <laughs> might might be useful to have a timeout if you get trapped in the backcourt. Yeah. And might want to tell your players, you know, or your players should know. Man, I think there's a there's don't, a don't there's call a, that timeout if you don't have it. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I just you, you just have to make sure Steph there. <laughs> you also got me thinking. The end of that King, well, there's a different discussion. That that end of that Kings game leading to the Harrison Barnes mystery. I I, I left or I, I looked back on that and wondered like Mike Brown does call timeout. You know, we'll never know. But what if he lets it rip at that point? But we're not on Kings Warriors just yet. Um, I I hear you. Go ahead. What's that, Eric? 
as I say, but like that's that's always like the the inner dilemma, right? Is like how okay, you- when you see the fire coming out of Jimmy's eyes and you see the horns coming out of his head and you see the fans doing backflips physically in the stands and the roof of the building is actually beginning to come away from the hinges and come off. I mean, that's I hear you, but no, you've got to you've got to stop. That Miami crowd was hilarious to watch in itself last night but like you know separate from Why? the game was, was a fun watch just just the miami nature of it all and the fact that you know that is known as in some ways some of the like a sleepier playoff atmosphere like they must be lit to get you know uh a flame but they were and it suddenly turned into like a miami you version are just of having double crowd. entendres like crazy today i know that was a lot yeah. uh sorry go ahead uh <laughs> but yeah i mean so like i i think there's obviously the argument that like, yeah, you should take it. And I think the other argument would be, well, they took the timeout and what they do right after it. Giannis scored an and one on an ATO that they were able to draw up. They ended up scoring on the possession after that. They got a wide open three from Chris Middleton on the possession after that. And he missed it. They could have gone up five because in between all those scores, they paired stops. So if the Bucks just do the thing that the Bucks did in 2021 and show like, you know, their championship medal, like everything that they had, because it would have been a Giannis and one, a Drew Holiday step back three and a Chris Middleton step into it three. And all of a sudden they're up five after that timeout. Maybe it didn't look so bad. Like maybe your idea to compose your team did actually work. And, and again, I, I definitely understand second guessing it. Like, call the timeout, stop the run. But also, you weren't stopping Jimmy Butler last night. It doesn't matter how many timeouts you took. Like, he was doing whatever he wanted to you, uh, no matter what. So I think, like, to me, the bigger question is, and, and I asked Bud this after game one, and to be totally fair, like, Giannis played 11 minutes in that game. But to start that game, Drew Holiday had Jimmy Butler. And in 2021... When the Milwaukee Bucks dominated and destroyed the Miami Heat, four-game sweep, multiple blowout wins, Brooke Lopez was ba- was on Bam Adebayo, just like he is now, and Giannis Tedekumbo was on Jimmy Butler. And that was how you beat the Miami Heat. And Jimmy struggles with Giannis' length, and last night, like, he got him a couple times, as Slater said. Uh, but overall, like, if you're looking at the possessions where Jimmy Butler is truly uncomfortable – it's when Giannis covers him. And I, like you, I do have the the flashbacks of instead of being in the bubble, being in my apartment and asking Giannis, hey, did you ask Bud if you could cover Jimmy Butler? Like, I have those same flashbacks. And in 2020, the answer was, why would you ask me that? You know that, like, I'm a help defender. This is what our scheme is. Like, of course I didn't. And then in 2021, the answer was, yeah, I wanted the challenge. Let's do this. And I showed why I should have been doing this last year. Like to me, it was funny. And it's still, it's very curious to me why two years later we would now see the bucks revert and go back 2020. How much of that is Giannis's physical state? Where is he at physically after the back, you know, missing two and a half games. Yeah, You wrote about a moment, six minutes to go in the game. And it it seems like he, he was struggling a bit. How about just the end? He he was like, how long was he lying on the floor when the like the game ends and he was just lying there? Nobody seemed like they were coming over to help him up either. Yeah, I mean, so it was one of those games where I think he just gave everything, right? Like, 
it, it's in uh, all of us have kind of been there for those moments because we covered the 2021 NBA finals together. But like, you know, Sam, you and I sat in the press conference after game two in Phoenix and wondered, okay, what just happened to Giannis? Because he stepped up on the podium once he was, he, he was the up post-game there. press conference podium. He's sitting there and he just goes, I can't do this. And he walks off and he disappears for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. And then he comes back and you and I were later able to report that like what he did there was he got an IV because he had given so much and his body had just kind of, you know, he, he, there was nothing left in it. And I thought last night, you know, we saw a lot of that and he did not speak to the media last night. It was a similar situation where, you know, we were in the press room waiting for Giannis at the podium. And then we're told that he wasn't going to be there. And I, I did find myself thinking back to that moment with about six minutes left. Giannis gets his 11th assist of the night. It's Giannis and Brooke in the middle pick and roll. They're destroying the heat with it. And they had just gone to it possession after possession. Uh, I think they had racked up four assists in the fourth quarter, those two in that pick and roll. And then Giannis throws a pass and on his way back, he kind of grimaces. And then he does like a run that doesn't look like how anyone ever runs. Like, unless maybe you're going to the bathroom, like his legs are (laughs) just like real small steps. He's trying to love was kind of running like that at times. (laughs) Yeah. It's because he's a middle-aged man. That's how they, that's how we run. <laughs> so like you just saw it and in my mo like in my head, I was like, okay, I'm guessing those are cramps because he didn't grab like grab at his back. It was, you know, kind of the legs. And I mean, I think that plays into it, right? Like if you're asking for him to help you win this must win game and Giannis was spectacular last night, like to be clear, that's his third career playoff, triple double scored efficiently and just kind of controlled the game until those final six minutes, the bucks went away from that offensively. They stopped running that exact same set that they've been running the whole fourth quarter to get that big lead. And after the game, you know, there wasn't a lot of talk about it, but I would venture to guess that like they went away from it because they were just like, I don't know how much more we can, count on Giannis to get us through this and maybe he needs a little bit of a break and we need to move away from him and and that's the three minutes that we're talking about where this big run goes on 13 nothing from the heat and and they end up getting the game Eric when is game five game five is if today's Tuesday it's Wednesday uh, okay, oh, so one day rest that's not good for Giannis um you know you know this team better than anybody what you know what does your spidey sense tell you about whether or not they can beat the odds and and recover. I mean, I I think in 2021, the Bucks went down 0-2 in Phoenix, and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday came up to the podium and were laughing, right? Like they were like, "Yeah, we're you know we're good, like we're gonna be fine." Um, I I didn't get that same sense last night. Like I think they're really trying to figure out like what the fuck are we going to do with Jimmy Butler? Like we haven't, there's our headline right there for the pod. Like we haven't, we haven't figured out how to stop him yet. What are we going to do? How are we going to stop him? And the answer truly might be as simple as just put Giannis on him. And, and, and that might why be, not, why, why not more doubles? And I know we're, we're doing the armchair quarterback thing, but why, you know, there weren't a lot of doubles 
Not a lot of traps. No Why? Tyler Hero, too. Like, and Bam Adebayo does not look ready offensively for this moment. Caleb Martin, by the way, just as a quick aside, your your NBA playoff plus minus on court off court point differential leader at the moment, right above Steph not Curry. Alex Lynn, huh? No, Caleb Martin. Um, man, Alex Lynn, who even gave a little John Cena last night. You see that? Yeah, after he hit that corner three. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, so. I think this Bucks team over the years has been really big on we're not going to give up a bunch of points to one dude and then everyone else. Like when they played the Nets in the second round in 2021, uh, you know, PJ Tucker goes on this big rant about how everyone's got to stop helping. Katie's going to score. That's how it goes. Just don't let everyone else get loose and we'll be fine. And, you know, Jimmy did have, what, 56 last night? I think two assists, if I remember correctly. Like, they didn't let everyone get both except for... (laughs) Congratulations. Except for the biggest (laughs) moment of the game when Caleb Martin hits two massive shots and all of a sudden they are getting both. Like, those those are the things that I think can happen. So that's always kind of been their tactical guidelines is, you know... One guy, fine, we're not going to double. We're not going to send traps. We're not going to do all of that. We're just going to take away everyone else. And frankly, they've been unsuccessful doing that in this series. The Heat are shooting 50% from the three-point line as well. Like, they're not doing the other stuff that they want to do. So I I just think it's a multi-level failure defensively uh, to this point to have a team that was the 25th best offense in the league uh, in the regular season, score 120 every night. Like that's just it, it's it just hasn't been acceptable. And and I think that if we're talking about how they win this, yeah, this is a team that I think is capable of very good defensive performances. If they string three of them together, all of a sudden they can win this series. But they just haven't shown any ability to be able to do it quite yet. All right, my last thought here, and then we're gonna take a break and jump into the other series. Um, Jimmy was incredible. We got to give, a, you know, a, some flowers to, we talk about the depth of the heat, Tyler Hero being out. You know, Kyle Lowry with a massive steal late on Drew Holiday where he just absolutely picked his pocket. And, and I alluded to the plus minus game. Um, you know, Jimmy's the headliner. Jimmy's, Jimmy's the hero. Kyle Lowry giving you a plus 18 performance in 23 minutes. Duncan Robinson, who has been sitting on the bench for most of the year, 30 minutes plus 15. And then Caleb, uh, your plus minus leader at this point in the playoffs, plus 16, giving you 12 big points uh, as well. So, you know, they are getting the kind of help we didn't think they could get. I I saw somebody on ESPN today mention, like you're talking about Jimmy and the and the band of undrafted misfits. It's just unbelievable. You know, when you compare the rosters of these two teams, but but guys are are playing pretty well. Any final thoughts, boys? I was going to say, all those dudes are stepping up. And I think overwhelmingly, like it's just, it. Jimmy's been unbelievable, but the Heat have also stacked on top of that these really strong performances from guys that just haven't performed that way in the regular season. Um, whether that's, you know, circumstance or opportunity or, or whatever it may be, like they just haven't performed that well. And they're killing it in the playoffs. And 
the the Bucks have just been scrambling in all facets of what they're doing defensively, and it's because of Jimmy, but it's also because of of the performances of of all these you know kind of kind of like you said, like these nameless guys or these old vets that are you know taking one last trip around the sun. And Kevin Love and Kyle Lowry, like the, all those dudes that have just been have been really important to them thus far. Isn't Bam no, Adebayo no. supposed to be like a superstar though? I know Bam is not uh, not earning his money right now. Just saying, I still no think, question. and I, you know, Sam may criticize me for this. I still think the Bucks have a very good shot to win this series. Now, Giannis needs to be himself. Very good is strong. Himself, I mean, I'm not going to count him out. But I just, you know, two of the games are in Milwaukee. That it took 56 or whatever he finished that from Butler. I still think Miami's extremely limited, particularly offensively. I think Milwaukee can win this series still. We shall see. All right, we're going to take a quick break, get into Lakers, Grizzlies, Warriors, Kings on the other side. Eric, I would not judge you in the slightest if you would like to run for your bed and to get some sleep. I will let you make the decision if you want to stay on and join us or not, Um, but we will be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we are back. Uh, Eric made the wise veteran choice and headed for his bed for some middle-of-the-day napping uh, after a late, late night covering Heat Bucks. But Slater, uh, let's keep it moving in the West. Uh, Lakers-Grizzlies with Warriors-Kings coming up next in our discussion. Uh, another incredible game. You know, Butler stole the night in terms of the Heat Bucks game, but LeBron, even if he wasn't 38 years old, you know, coming up with 20, 20, and 7, or was it 22? Um, in a, you know, incredible, as much of a must win game, I think as you can have to, to get a three, one series lead. And I only say that because, you know, the Grizzlies have home court down the stretch and in the series. And, um, you got an older Lakers team that is now facing a schedule that is one day off between each game. Um, you've got Anthony Davis on the offensive side of the floor being wildly inconsistent and to watch LeBron especially with all these subplots in this series with Dylan Brooks popping off, calling him old, poking the bear, you know, John Morant being hurt to his credit, playing through this hand injury um, and everything that came with it to watch. It was not a one man show like Jimmy was with Miami for the most part. It was LeBron doing LeBron things, um, but, but hitting the glass in an incredible way. And that supporting cast, most of which did not have Laker jerseys on, if you go back to January, so shout out Rob Palinka, who who did a great job at the trade deadline, the the Rui Hachimuras of the world, the Austin Reeves, um, incredible game. Lakers had to have it, you know, up three one. What'd you think of that ball game? Where LeBron's and Jimmy Butler's supporting cast is similar is the underperforming big man you mentioned. Like you know, you kind of glossed over Davis there. I thought he had like a bad game, and uh, I know that. There was, you know, he's he's fighting through stuff. He 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 went down. He was with, bad defensively. I'm gonna steal a stat. I mean, I'm sorry, offensively. I'm stealing a stat that I I did just pick up watching an ESPN show. I think it was, um, the Grizzlies were around like two of eighteen at the rim with AD. Like he's he's giving yeah, them that I mean, defensive look, presence. He's, he had a big block a, late. He's an elite rim protector. Uh, just oh, being no down sure. there, I think even if he's not coming over to contest, like people are just more hesitant to go down there. So look, his presence is always helpful. Um, I think Jaron Jackson was a better rim protector last. I know more. He was you know, a beast. Yeah. How about that block he had that set up the the Morant feed to Bain, where you thought Memphis had pulled it out potentially, which sets up to me the biggest shot of the game. Obviously, uh, down to like that was a tough shot by LeBron. He's beaten Xavier Tillman, who. It's interesting the Grizzlies are having Xavier Tillman, not Dylan Brooks, in the you know ultimate moment of the game, last possession, need to stop. Um, it's Tillman guarding LeBron. LeBron takes him to the rim, and it is Jackson coming over. Jackson who just spiked a shot, um, and you see how high LeBron had to put that off the glass as he's like, oh, falling yeah. out of bounds. He called it a tier three layup, and, and and talked about it's something he practices, and the idea that I mean, you know you're throwing that thing well above the square. Classic LeBron post game, <laughs> but I mean, Listen, yeah, we're gonna get into this in a minute. At least, at least his ass does. At least he spoke. You know, yes, my God, I'm so tired of these dudes running uh, from I, I actually want to wind you up on that one in a little bit. Please so, do. but let's 
go to the Lakers side for right now. Um, he, yeah, I mean, like that thing, like kissed, like hide, you know, uh, top right of the, of the board. But yeah, that shot was big. D'Angelo Russell's two threes, and I know LeBron mentioned it. Three post threes. Three threes. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. It, um, I, you know, Russell, I think, has been a mild disappointment. You know, he's that trade was so good in so many ways. You saw Vanderbilt was great to start the game. Uh, I know the Achimura wasn't part of that trade, but he he was good as an addition. Malik Beasley's kind of, you know, floated out of the rotation. But Russell hasn't had t- many terrific moments, but he you know, if he doesn't have that that sequence, and, and that is what he's known for, right? He'll randomly get hot in spurts of a game and give you a right. 9-0 run. He did it at a crucial moment of the season, which, you know, like, I'm not saying that that, that, that makes his entire tenure, second tenure with the Lakers a success, but that was big. No, but if you I mean, that's the whole point, right? If you go back to the trade deadline and, like, like you got a guy who just, he didn't win that playoff game on his own, but you lose it without those shots. And and that is the thing. And the idea and the narrative is that LeBron does have some help here. And to survive a game where AD was disastrous and a total, you know, total no show offensively uh is is big. Um I don't know where they go from here. The the Grizzlies are still so damn potent. And and like you said, Jaron Jackson playing really well. Desmond Bain having a, a massive kind of you know load on his shoulders on both ends of the floor, but but finally hitting some shots. Last night, I'm um, trying to look here. He ended up with 36. My goodness. Um, yeah, he was good. 36. You know, he hasn't, he hadn't been. He, uh, Warrior Series last year, he was dealing with like, it seemed like back spasms or something, but he had a yeah. really quiet series. And up until game four, you didn't, you know, they need offense so bad, right? Where they have that nine point first quarter. Um, and it had to be Bane. He's their shot maker. He needs to be their floor spacer. He Almost needs- 47 minutes, by the way. Almost played the entire damn game. 46 minutes, 47 seconds. John Morant, 44 minutes. You know, Jaws, 8 of 24 from the field. And, you know, I don't know what direction you want to take this here. There's a lot to unpack. Jaw late, you know, it's it's so much fun to watch. He's an incredible ball player, man. But this, two things come to mind. This discussion and this continued reality where... They are one team with Ja on the floor and and different when he, you know, when, when he didn't play earlier. Like he's he's incredible. But then you see him jump 13 feet in the air and and just ignore the fact that LeBron is clearly sitting there ready to take the charge and go down to the floor in the same exact way that got him hurt in the first place. He re-injured that hand a couple times during the game. Um, you know, anybody who watches this game and wants the guys to make the most of their talent, you hope he can play 20 years when you look at that game. And it's just this continued idea that like like somebody has got to convince him to tweak his style a little bit. He's not going to last ten years playing like this. Yeah, it's difficult though. You know, for what makes you great, like you don't want to you know neuter that. Um, you know, I dealt with it a little bit. You know, a very smaller version of it. I guess you'd say, but covering James Wiseman, uh, his first couple of years with the Warriors, how were how did he get injured? He went up for an alley oop, a kind of ambitious alley oop. He came down on his wrist, hurt his wrist. It really stalled out his rookie year. Then obviously he uh, later in the year comes back. He he goes up for a pick and roll. You know, monster poster dunk gets knocked off balance and, and tears his meniscus that took away like a year and a half early early on and i know part of the post injury process as they as they were trying to get him back to health was like you know 
how do you land you know talk about different landing spots which dunk should you go for not go for and you know there are much higher profile players in history you know michael jordan i believe is one who early in his career Dwayne wade for sure is one remember fall down eight times get up or fall down seven get up eight um he was crash dummy a lot of these you know superstar players in their early 20s are crash dummies and then Dwayne Wade needs to sharpen up that, you know, 18-foot bank shot. Remember how he then became such a good mid-range shooter? And that's probably the next phase for Ja, like trust the floater more, trust the bank shot more, trust the finesse a little bit more. But, you know, I covered Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook was an insane crash dummy when he was that age, and uh, there was a lot of, like, you know, wondering when the next big injury will come sadly and he did have some knee trouble early in his career but generally he stayed healthy through it all and um i don't know it's a challenge like because you can't well, just like, hey job play like mike conley like you can't do that right those are valid points and so maybe it maybe i went too macro i mean but in the micro you've got what is coming mean, i give him credit he's playing through a lot of pain you can see it on his face um you would think you would at least you know temper it down a tiny bit in the in the scope of that one game and I will say this before we, I think uh, I love you, brother. I think you might have missed your chance to get me riled up on the Grizzlies post game stuff. I, I don't know if I have the energy. Like, I bat, I'll, I'll start here. Basketball wise, Sam, what do you think about players who no, don't hold on. speak after losses? <laughs> Basketball wise, um, it, the reality is with no Stephen Adams, with no Brandon Clark, the Grizzlies in what they do is is severely hindered. So. If they end up losing this series, it does make a lot of basketball sense to me, combined with this Lakers team that got deeper at the deadline, that defensively is tough, and elephant in the room, you know, Dylan Brooks's continued offensive deficiencies just creating an absolute nightmare for Taylor Jenkins and his staff. And the idea that with a guy like Ja, who wants nothing more than to have some open lanes and, and to be able to see the rim, you know, that nobody's guarding Dylan. And it's getting mucked up in the, in the lane every single time down the floor. He's he's not hitting the open threes. Um, it, you get to the off court stuff. I mean, listen. I honestly, I got recency bias. Maybe, like, can you think of another playoff instance where a, a, a somewhat prominent player talked this level of mess and then failed so miserably to back it up, and then on top of that, compounded the optics by. Doing a couple things. First of all, consecutive games, not doing media. And I'm going to hesitate to go too far down that road because the fans don't care that much. They do a little bit, but that does matter. When you talk, you know, and they're being accused of being front runners by their fellow players, not by the media. We just did a player poll and all kinds of players referred to them as front runners. So then Dylan and Jod don't talk post game. That part's not new. When they lost to the Warriors during rivalry week, Earlier this year, you know, we've talked about this. Like, this is kind of Jaw often doesn't talk after losses. The optics are are just to the point where all around the league, people are, I think, looking at him sideways in that regard. But in terms of Dylan, um, I can't think of a guy who talked this much. And then you, you not only are losing the matchup to watch LeBron literally take him driving left which Dylan had boasted a couple of weeks back that he knew LeBron's game, that LeBron never wants to drive left. There was obviously something incredibly poetic about LeBron choosing to drive left and finishing over Dylan Brooks and letting out that kind of primal scream. Um, 
you know, it put a, a kind of a bow on on their little one-on-one matchup, at least to this point. It's 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 wild. I mean, Dylan, I mean, I don't know what he could have said after the game last night. He's nothing he can say. Yeah, but you know, how it's I guess a weird way to look at it, but how you handle losses, I think, in a lot of ways, um, tells the world if you're ready to win and win at the highest level. You know what I mean? Um, just like the maturity with which you handle a defeat um can you know exemplify to the world like if if i think professionally you're ready to uh sure take that next leap and you wondered if the uh humbling of the second round last season from the warriors would would change the way that that the grizzlies operate would kind of mature them in that sense you know organizationally but also individually um but it I mean, we've talked all season how we didn't really think it did. Now they still got the second seed. They still are obviously extremely talented. They, you know, if if LeBron just misses that that floater last night, which he easily could have, it's two two going back to Memphis, and you probably favor the Grizzlies. So um, sure, they could still win this series, also. But I just I think we continue to see that they just don't appear ready for the brightest of lights. Listen, that conversation that you just framed well, I like and i think it's fair and i think it's substantive we're not just sitting here taking shots because guys didn't do media there's a bigger picture in play which is go ahead and prove the fans and the media wrong go ahead because right now it definitely appears that the grizzlies organization is not from a cultural standpoint building something that is sustainable for the long haul it feels very much from a leadership standpoint from a personality standpoint in terms of the way they move that they are making the most of some incredibly talented dudes who they brought to town um, and that the runway might be much shorter than it could be because of their ethos, if you will. And I Lack do think of accountability kind of comes to mind. hundred percent. And I percent. And I don't know. I mean, listen, I think everybody is fair to be in the spotlight. You know, Robert Perra, the owner, Zach Kleiman, the GM, Taylor Jenkins, the coach. We're not behind the scenes. We don't see everything, but this pattern and this trend of, of you know, like you said, the lack of accountability, and I'm talking on court, talking off court. Um, it, it's just incredible to me if you just because the stuff we do know, the stuff we are experts at in our field is the PR, right? Like we can speak on that. I'm not going to sit here and tell Taylor Jenkins how to run his team, but the PR we know, and the idea that they can't even compel their players to talk post game, given the headlines of this year to just get everybody to just just get with the program that you are part of this league and and this is how things work so that we can you know as an organization avoid continued criticism that goes beyond the basketball that is the part that confuses me because the people i know who are the the highest level in pr and their fields in sports media or in sports pr like those are the types of things they focus on. Like, hey, coach, hey, GM, I'm not getting into your lane, but there's a few things you can tweak here and there to help with the headlines, help with the optics, help with the conversation. Because the conversation after that game should be pretty simple. It should be LeBron was great. Lakers got some help from D'Angelo Russell. Grizzlies continue to deal with the losses of Steven Adams, Brandon Clark. Dylan Brooks needs to hit a few shots. That's kind of all the Grizzlies need the conversation to be. Instead, yet again, it is the like, man, like these dudes, you know, and that's what I think I would I would like to assume they would like to get away from. It doesn't seem like they do though. Yeah, I'd look 
to win, I think you need to correct mistakes. To correct mistakes, you need to kind of accept mistakes. You know, that's the accountability uh, aspect yeah. of it. You know, not well, and Kendrick it Perkins in. tweeted last night, and that's where I'm. I'm you and I are cut the same way, where we're humble enough to say we didn't play the game at any kind of high level. But when you see former players speak out on it, you know, Kendrick Perkins, Jay Williams, two two guys this morning that had something to say about that. You know, uh, then you at least feel like as a reporter that you're not. You're not crazy. You're not out of pocket. And and I think that is where the conversation is right now. Yeah. You know, and they have an interesting summer ahead, you know, especially with the Dylan Brooks contract, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, good stuff. We'll see if the Lakers can finish that so, off. So that series, and, and this will allow you to, to segue us, is lined up yep, with yep. Warriors King, setting up what I think is going to be a fantastic second-round series to come out of the this little bracket. But we still don't know who's going to be on the other side. Indeed, indeed. Uh, tough, tough news for the Kings on Monday when it gets reported by Arshana Sharania that De'Aaron Fox has a fracture in the index finger of his left shooting hand. Um, game five is coming on Wednesday. And, you know, you and I later today are, I believe, going to go out to Kings practice and try to get some sense of how they're feeling. It'll be one of those iPhone practices. That's what I call them, right? The practices where you go in, you're looking for a certain player, and everybody's, you know, busting the phone out and wanting to take a video and all that. So, oh man, look who we got on the line here. We got our special guest. I didn't put his name out in the streets because I didn't want people to get excited and then get let down. But we have the one and only Vinny Goodwill from Yahoo Sports coming at you from a hotel, I, I think, in LA. What's up, my friend? It is it is LA at least for the next few hours. I will be headed to Sacramento shortly. Oh, you coming up? Okay, man. All well, right, let's I set like that it. game five up then. Yeah, we 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 can. I want to. We'll we'll kind of jam in your thoughts on Lakers Grizzlies here in a minute, Vinny. We are we're kind of on the back end of the pod, but this is a, a fantastic surprise. Um, you know what, Slater? Hold on, we're gonna get to Kings Warriors real quick because it's fresh. Lakers Grizzlies. You you were there last night, and we've unpacked a lot of it. I I told Slater that I wouldn't let him get me riled up on Memphis and everything that comes with that experience, but but I failed and I did get riled up. So you kind of missed that little rant. But um, the series itself, and and I guess I'll start with LeBron's greatness. You wrote a column about the idea that that Dylan Brooks is is not wrong that LeBron is old. Uh, he's right about that, but about every other damn thing, he got it wrong. Like what was last night like? You ever feel like the other team made a player have a great game? Oh, not sure, that the, yeah. Not that the player was just singularly great, but the other team played so dumb it played into the great player's <laughs> hands and he just happened to take it. That's what it felt like last night because the Grizzlies did everything they could to lose the game. Like, you know, the, uh, Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach, he saw, called it a character game. He said, you know, where are, are our best when we play with swagger and confidence? And some players played like that. You know, like Desmond Blunt Bain, until he ran out of gas, like Desmond Bain ran out of gas by the end of the night. But when he hit that three to put them up seven, we hadn't heard from LeBron throughout that game. Like if it wasn't for D'Angelo Russell, and this is not give D'Angelo Russell all the credit, but none of that stuff would have ever happened if D'Angelo Russell didn't hit nine straight and sort of rescue the Lakers out of the spot that they were in. This wasn't your traditional LeBron tour de force game, but he does recognize if a game's there for the taking, why not take it? And that's kind of, I felt like, what he did in the Grizzlies. So just put it like this. 
Your Sacramento Kings are what we thought the Grizzlies would be this year. As far as the confidence, yeah. the moxie, being able yeah. to go toe-to-toe with an established team and to not lose games just by being dumb. Sacramento has lost two games, but they haven't lost two games by being dumb. The Grizzlies have lost two games by and large, or at least one game, by being dumb. Highlight that more, Vinny. What what What's your short list of plays that come to the forefront of your mind? It, you know, for me, it's going to sound really silly, but the the D'Angelo Russell, the first three, for Jaron Jackson to be switched out on him and Austin Reeves drives and Jaron Jackson, who loves going for the shot block, just puts himself in no man's land, right? He was not in a position to defend the pass, not in a position to block a shot, and he leaves D'Angelo Russell open. Now, to be to be fair, Russell is not has not played well this series, right? So you leave him open, the floodgates open, he hits nine straight. Then the LeBron play where he gets the layup to push the game into overtime, you know he wants to drive right. And I get that he has Xavier Tillman on him, and Xavier's a bigger player. He's more five playing four as opposed to four playing four. But where's where's your help? Dylan Brooks slides over, but but gets caught in no man's land. Like just certain game plan mistakes coming out of timeouts that the attention, the detail says to me that they're not ready. And the whole Dylan Brooks experience, forget him not talking. Let's just focus on Dylan Brooks on the floor. The dumb things that he does, getting riled up, letting the Staples Center crowd get in his head and everything else. Like you can't have that level of distraction when you're trying to overcome huge losses on your personnel and you're defending, you know, one of the game's best players in LeBron. Like you can't let those things happen. So just those are just three things and a multitude of them and some coaching mistakes too, because Luke Kennard wasn't on the floor when you needed three point shooting and you were nine of 42 from three and your best three point shooter is on the bench for most of the game. Yeah, How about Dylan Brooks, just like general view of his offensive game and, like that is a season long, career long you said version of what of you're talking about. Offensive game? Does he have an offensive game? In his mind, he does, and that's the problem, right? <laughs> I mean, like this idea that he is like a Patrick Beverly, a Draymond Green type mold. It's like those guys accept what they are offensively. He doesn't. Yeah, he's in a weird spot, or the Grizzlies are in a weird spot with him, right? Because Ja's going to be John. If you're going to be in the Ja Morant business, you need someone steady next to him, at least in my opinion. And Dylan Brooks is neither a great shooter nor a great athlete, but he is a great defender. You know, I, I did put him on one of my all-defense teams, and I have no regrets about that. But the, the, the wildness and the, the fluctuations in how he plays, especially offensively, he takes some of that stuff away. When you take dumb shots and you force the cross-matching on the other end, you're giving a Lakers team that's honestly not very good a lot of advantages that they wouldn't have otherwise. And if Dylan Brooks played a little bit smarter, and I know that's an oxymoron, Dylan Brooks playing smart, but if he took advantage of the opportunities in front of him as opposed to trying to dictate the game on his own terms, he'd be a lot better Like, off. hey, Jock, come over here for a DHO instead of like, eh, let me get mine right now. It's Dylan Brooks time, baby. That's what time it is. So he's second on the – I'm looking at it here. He's second on the team in this series in threes. That's a mistake. Uh, 22.2%. Only Desmond is shooting more and, and Jaws right below him. Um, you know, and we talked a lot, Vinny, about the maturity stuff. And I kind of like your Kings parallel. It, it, I'll be honest. It's a lot for me to wrap my head around. Cause I'm just so programmed to think that Kings represents dysfunction and 
and all that type of stuff. But they are, to their credit right now, we can kind of segue into that series. The Kings are, they are, they are rolling with what, excuse me, what they have and who they are. And they're letting the results, you know, good or bad, speak for themselves. That is the personality difference between these two teams. As Slater and I have talked about, and he's obviously got such a good read on Mike Brown from his time with the Warriors and Slater being around him. Mike Brown and that team, like when you let's let's compare Dylan Brooks, Draymond Green, two guys who who want to poke the bear all the time. Mike Brown has told the Kings, do not engage with that man. Like stop talking to him. Don't do exactly what Dylan Brooks did to the Lakers. It doesn't mean they're going to win the series. Doesn't mean it's going to work. I do think that down the road, you talk about organizational culture, maturity, you know, sustainability, the length of your runway. It, it's a better formula than what the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies are just like, we're going to burn hot and bright for as long as we can. And it ain't going to be that long. And, and, you know, Ja's going to try to jump 15 feet in the air and hope he doesn't break his leg. And, and Dylan's going to, you know, average seven threes a game. Um, it's just wild how they are attacking their thing. And, and yeah, the contrast to the Kings is, is, is pretty fascinating. Well, for me, I would respect the Grizzlies a lot more if they stay consistent with who they are. If you're going to be brash and confident and cocky and talk all types of, I, can I cuss on here? Yeah, let it you rip. Talk all types of shit. Then be that way all the time, right? If you're down three one, you still gonna say, "Hey, we think we're the better team. We got two games left on our home floor." That sort of thing. Like, stay true to your character. Be who you are. The Kings, I feel like, are more consistent to who they are. I don't think they're trying to. They don't engage with Draymond Green, but they don't shy away from him either. I definitely felt like they baited Draymond Green. Like they kept needling him and needling him and needling him. And then not like he snapped, but you put him in a position. You hold, you grab, you clutch, you right. play right, basketball. Right. And if you know that that person is a little more, you know, susceptible to losing his cool, that's fine. But we're doing things on our terms. Mike Brown says, don't get in, don't get engaged with him verbally. But it doesn't mean you don't tweak him on the floor. It 100%. doesn't mean that you try to bring out the worst attributes in him to put him in situations where he may react. And I felt like that's what they did to their advantage, which I have zero problem with. And even in game four, I know that there's a lot of people that's going to have a lot of quibbles with the way things maybe ended. But I felt like from the last possession, from the moment that they were down 10 to end the third quarter, they stayed the course and stayed true to who they who they were. We're going to play fast. We're going to play. We're going to play De'Aaron Fox. We're going to play Malik Monk. Like they have a confidence in who they are. For for there to be very little sweat equity in terms of playoff basketball, guys, they act like they've been here before. They're not straying from. You can have a bad game. Everybody has a bad game, but they don't seem like they're straying from their own ethos in this series like they're not going to beat themselves in that way they may like you said they may lose the series but they'll lose the series on their terms if they lose right right yeah and they, they're the grit that you're talking about is there when draymond stands over keegan murray and i think tells him some version of get the hell up and he was giving keegan a hard time for staying on the ground pretty long early in that game four who's in his face De'Aaron's in his face like De'Aaron actually stood you know stuck up for his guy and so when they need to, they're doing that. But but the chirping on the bench, they're keeping to a minimum. Uh, and listen, they they showed that fight in the fourth quarter. I texted a, a you know a buddy of mine who's a Kings fan. He hit me after the third quarter. Oh man, this is not good. They're down ten. And I wrote back like they're cooked. Like that's that's a wrap. You know. And they they came out 
like gangbusters from there. You, you hear Mike post game too. I mean, he was kind of critical of uh, of some of their um, sloppiness or over aggressiveness in transition and saying they were just driving into two guys and begging for fouls. They want them to play fast, but they need to be smarter with all that. There's also, again, what we were talking about with the Grizzlies earlier. I just think there's a level of accountability. Like Even after a yeah. game like that, what must they clean up? And he's uh, coming out, he's telling the public, which means we know he's telling his team. Yeah, and that was very Sabonis-specific, that criticism, I think. Um, and meanwhile, we keep doing the contrast, but like, you know, Taylor Jenkins, I just if I hear him say one more time that, that our swag is what got us here, like, cool. Like, I, I don't know if that's not exactly putting your guys in a position to win. Um, Vinny, the Fox injury is massive. I mentioned before you hopped on that we're going to go to practice this afternoon. Uh, we, <clears throat> excuse me. Are you, I don't know how quick your flight is. Are we going to see you there? You, you making it up for this thing? My flight, I don't think, is, isn't until Sam, four. we got to go to practice in like All two right. and a half hours, and he's chilling, right oh. now, chilling in a room right now. I don't <laughs> think he's making Fair it. enough. I didn't do the math. But, uh, you know, there's not a long list of dudes who have played through this injury. Uh, the one guy that, that has most famously is the one and only, the late, the legend, Kobe Bryant. A maniac. 20, 2010, yeah, maybe. Respectfully, a maniac. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And he even, I looked it up last night. I mean, 2010 championship run. I remember it. I covered it. That was my first year as a national writer. Covered that whole thing. You know, I think that finger had a little something to do with him shooting six of 24 in game seven against the Celtics. You know, but he got that finger injury. Um, I want to say, I think it was December 11th, like early, Ooh. early. Doesn't miss a damn game. Doesn't miss any games at all. Uh, I think the next game you missed was February 6th from that point on. And later talked at the time, Lakers beat writer Kevin Ding, now with the Lakers, um, had chronicled how Kobe had, you know, after that season, he had arthritis concerns, long-term concerns about the finger. So to your point, Vinny, just a, a guy who was, was cut different more than anybody else. Um, so, you know, do we think, I mean, I do think Fox will most likely give it a, a shot, We'll get more of a sense at practice today, but but in terms of handicap and where this goes from here, uh, how do you see it? It's so disappointing, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is. There is nothing more exhilarating as a viewer of NBA basketball for my entire life or even as a journalist than watching a young, exuberant team go after a champion. And not even has to be like defending champion, but just an established team. And I felt like I felt like the Kings were up to a challenge in the way. And I said it before the series started. I said, everybody angling to get to six. You'll mess around and be in for a rude awakening because I don't think this is going to be some easy win. You know what I mean? They're, they're not some jobber. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is not, you know, this ain't the, the BK brawler or something like that in the WWF. Like some dude that's just going to be out here taking a taking an L. And I felt like with two of the last three games on their home floor, yeah, the odds still say the Warriors come up with something, right? But I'd rather see them get beat than something like this happen. And I'm not going to go right. into, you know, the litany of things because health always is a concern in the playoffs. Luck is always something that occurs. But when you see the engine to this, and I didn't vote Fox. I think I voted Fox on my third team. But I put Sabonis as fifth on my MVP ballot, right? Just not because as a hub and everything running around him and yep. stuff like that. But in this series, this is a De'Aaron Fox series. 
You know what I mean? He's the guy oh, that, yeah. you think, that you're game planning for. I think he's more of a no playoff for. star to be on this series. I think he's more like if they actually want to get to the next level, it's like Sabonis is who he is, right? And I think there is limitations playoff wise. But what you're saying, I think like Fox will elevate them to the next level and was. Well, just the position he plays. You know what I mean? Like the position he plays, the speed, the advantage, the fact that it's a guard's game, and you're you're cutting his finger off. Like literally, you know what I mean? Like you're cutting a huge part of what he does off. And I think, you know, he's a gamer. He'll try to play. You know, they may, you know, shoot it up or something like that. But, dude, I tried to play on a broken wrist before. That ain't easy. I won't say that ain't easy. That's impossible. I didn't realize it was broken. I was playing on adrenaline until like three o'clock in the morning. I said, "Oh shit, this really hurts," and I went right. to the hospital. And said, now you got you got one day between games. I mean, if they survive to game seven, you're talking one day, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, how do you how do you how do you guys handicap it? That doesn't seem realistic, right? Is it just well, more shots for Malik? One Mark, thing I will say Detroit? with this team from this year, it's a vuls- They're calling it an avulsion fracture of his left index finger, which is different than a right thumb for a left-handed player because Sabonis and Fox are both left-handed, so you'd prefer it on your right hand. But but Sabonis got an avulsion fracture in his left or in his right thumb this season, missed a game, came back, well, what, three, four days later, Sam? And yep. really has not, like, I have not once this he's season. Been a like, different oh, he's a different bird. We, but it's also, I mean, the, the shooting hand. Yeah, like, no doubt. I hear you. That's And this is what we don't know. Like, how bad is it? What are the levels of it? You know, what? The play it seemed to happen was four minutes left. He was really good down the stretch. You're right. You know, like adrenaline wears off, swells up, whatever. There's not is to me. It's not completely out of the question that we're watching game five. Like, oh, you know, doesn't look like we can't really tell how much it's affecting him, or maybe he doesn't even play and it's series. Yeah, over. I mean, it does it potentially it creates a, a great playoff moment if he plays well. Then then he's got a little bit of a legend that you know that he's you know creating. We'll see. Um, but I'm with you, Vinny, and the idea that. In a perfect world, we we hate when this health stuff gets in the way, and even you know we we were breaking down Bucks Heat, and Jimmy was incredible. The Heat win that game, but I wish Giannis was a hundred percent. You know, like he had a thing six minutes to go in the game where I wish Giannis had a functional coach, <laughs> a living, breathing coach. He should have been on the first part of the pod. I don't know that we can go down this I know, road right now. Well, and even and this is coach related as well, and we I'm beating this horse to death. This this whole Memphis Kings comparison, you know, I think about. Fox. And let's just, I guess, pull a few takeaways, regardless of what happens in this series, things we have learned. Um, you know, a couple of years back, our, our buddy, our friend, our colleague, Amin Elisan. I knew you famously, were going. <laughs> yeah, like, and he was right at the time. He was right. Yep. Famously said that John Moran is who De'Aaron Fox thinks he is. And Kings fans were not happy. And now we have a, an interesting, you know, timeline parallel between what's happening with Ja, what's happening with De'Aaron. The one thing that I want to hyper-focus on is in terms of accountability, leadership, coaching, all those things. Every single time Mike Brown talks about De'Aaron Fox, he reminds people that he's got to get better defensively, even when he's pretty damn good and he's pushing him to be a two-way player. De'Aaron, to his credit, has been wide open ears, you know, keeping his mouth shut for the most part and like has been incredibly coachable and then it does not feel like with John Taylor and what they're doing out there, that just feels like just let it ride. Whatever he gives me. I mean, the other day, I forget if it was Desmond or Dylan. I think it was Desmond. One of the, the his teammates 
in the in the media stuff highlighted that we need more from John ja the defensive end. Like your teammates should not have to be, you know, spotlighting that. And and it's another distinct difference between the two. So for Fox, I hope he can get out there, hope he can do his thing. He's been incredible. That crowd, you'll see Vinny, you know, it's gonna be pretty lit on, should on I bring game five. Uh, I mean that's that that's I, soft I, behavior in my opinion. You you must feel it, it as everyone else in the building feels. <laughs> should, should I like take some Tylenol before the game? No. Should I do well, that? <laughs> here's the irony: the only person in the arena who I will not judge for having earplugs in is De'Aaron Fox's young son Rain, who wears the headphones when his wife or say holds him courtside. So that is acceptable. Uh, I've never been able to to kind of bite the bullet and put the old earplugs in. Some old veteran, old head sports writers in the past I've seen do it. I'm probably going to regret it when I'm older and can't hear a damn thing. But but it is loud, and, and I've made this joke on the pod before. Like, I've, I've never seen my Apple Watch. It's a very bougie example, but, like, my Apple Watch constantly tells me that the environment's too loud when I'm at a Kings game. Um, so, yeah, it'll it'll be wild. We'll just see if that they is, can do that something. That is very first world, Sam. I know, I know. <laughs> Let's talk about that, Vinny. Let's have one of our conversations. <laughs> <laughs> off wax, off wax. No, I'm, oh, looking, I'm looking forward to seeing – this tomorrow, and I I wanted to hit your, your your point on Ja and and De'Aaron. I'm curious about what you guys think. Mike Brown says that stuff to De'Aaron, and De'Aaron can sort of take it. He says it in private, then he says it in public. When coaches and players sort of say that about Ja, I wonder if that's like a last resort. If that's like a hey, we're poking, we're prodding, we're saying it privately, and you're not getting it. So now we're going to say it publicly, and we're going to say it. A little more harshly, or is this there a communication disconnect? I feel like it's more of a communication disconnect all the way around there, and I'm wondering if Taylor Jenkins knows how to get to Ja. Hell, does anybody know how to get to Ja? That's Let's the thing. I mean, honest it's here. been you the year I mean? that that's been the story of the year. Can anybody? The the one thing ja? I would, and I think I just say this just quickly. There's a big difference between the two. I think Fox is in year six. What's Ja in like maybe year four? Uh, Ja's 23. Fox is 25. Fox has really experienced the you know basement of the league, several coaches, several failed situations. Humbled. I think yeah. he was finally at a point of his career like, hey, I want a coach to come in here and correct this because it has been so bad. Jaw has experienced so much success early. I think that's led to like, hey, what I, you know, I'm already doing it right. Look at what I've already ascended to. So I think there's that's a bit of a difference. But isn't it creating potentially an identity crisis for their team in terms of planning, in terms of roster construction? Because you go to last year when the numbers were incredible in terms of how good they were without them. They're, they're competing with the Warriors in the playoffs without them. That's the fork in the road that is unfortunate because they, they have such a, a talented team. But if they can't get you know enough of that two-way mentality in Ja, then can all those pieces coalesce in the kind of way that they should? I don't know because I do think let's go ahead and, and handicap it. Let's say they bow out to the Lakers in this first round. Now you're in the offseason. Every team, what do they do at that point? They reassess, you know, where are we going? How does this look? And you have a superstar who is as box office as anybody in the NBA. That's If you use that term, it's John Morant. Um, mm-hmm. But if they are not, you know, merging those two things well enough, then I don't know what it looks like. Um, it, you know, it felt last year, guys, like Memphis was going to contend for the next 10 years. And maybe they still do. Uh, but I think it's it's a little bit on the uh, the knife's edge right now. Look, there are two players who've done real winning at that height, at that height in that sort of slight build, right? 
two guys in NBA history, just two, Isaiah Thomas and Steph Curry. And those are two vastly different players, but you can see the archetype of how you can build around them. But those two players, even Steph, though he had his early struggles defensively, he's committed now. You know what I mean? Like he's committed, you know, on that end. Ja reminds me of Allen Iverson, Russell Westbrook. And if those guys were your best players, whether it was a guards league or not, there's a ceiling on how high you can go if everything revolves around those dudes, the way that you have to build your team, the, the type of scores you can't have around them because they demand so much so much oxygen. You got to have some real questions, I think. Like, I, I wonder if Jaron Jackson has to be more of a focus for Memphis moving forward as far as how they move their program. Can you keep Dylan Brooks around? Desmond Bain looked like a grown man for 40 minutes last night until his tank just went on E. Understandably went on E, but what is his ceiling? I think organizationally Memphis has a lot of questions because this Western Conference ain't getting no easier right? as things right. you know what I'm saying, move along and progress. Like This was a down year, but it was just a down year. It ain't a down five years. Right. Slater, let's uh let's finish here. We we've somehow gotten deep into the pod and not really talked about the Warriors at all. Um, you know, they they show that championship medal in game four. Uh I still I, I it never gets old watching the genius of Draymond defensively. And so, you know, I can't get over the way he he played that last look and just looking at Harrison Barnes and telling him, like, I know who you are, go ahead and shoot that shot. You know, like that was just absolutely brutal and it worked. Um where do you think they're at right now, especially with the Fox News giving them a little kind of emotional edge? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't think they are happy about the Fox News. And I know, you know, from the people I've talked to post that coming out, there's been like a he's playing. He's pl-, like their belief and their scouting in the, you know, right now is like we're still scouting for De'Aaron Fox. We're still scouting for a good De'Aaron Fox. Um, if suddenly it's Davion Mitchell for 42 minutes and Malik Monk's the backup point guard. Uh, I think they're okay with that being the situation and them being underprepared for that than if Fox shows up. So, um, you know, confidence. I think they would have had confidence that they're going to get one in that building regardless. Um, That can ebb good and bad. That might mean Clay Thompson's coming out like, this is my, you know, game five is the Clay Thompson game, and he shoots eight threes in the first quarter. Maybe he makes seven of them. Maybe he makes one of them. And, you know, that's just kind of who they've been this season. But, Man, I, there is there was such a uh, sigh of relief that they closed that game the other night. Not just because, yeah, you don't want to be down three one, but if Harrison Barnes hits that three, not only do you have you know the former guy you kicked to the curb that is just stomping around the arena thinking he ended the dynasty, but how bad would that Steph Curry timeout situation have looked in retrospect? Oh yeah, how bad would that yeah. you know Steve Kerr's decision making down the stretch, even to to, to use that challenge? Um, so much of what went wrong down the stretch is viewed so differently because Harrison Barnes missed that shot. So I just can't even imagine. I mean, did you go to the end of the Warriors locker room post game where you were mostly no. on the King side? I it was, was on the King side. They were just laughing and talking about, oh man, imagine if Harrison made made that. And I was just like trying to take my mind into an alternate reality. If Harrison did make that, like what is the vibe of that locker room? It's not even just the timeout. It's Steph going too early. And and it's funny. I, I listened to Draymond's pod which you know for the second straight year in a row has become something that's part of my job during the playoffs and he highlighted the fact for one they all fell on the sword for Steph Steve said it was his fault Draymond said it was his fault but he also I thought this was fascinating talked about how 
and he wasn't being critical of Steph, but he goes, listen, when you make a mistake like that, you're going to be in your head a little bit. So he recognized that like Steph going too early, that was Steph being shook. That was Steph sitting there probably thinking to himself, I cannot believe what I just did. So yeah, if they drop that game, uh, a whole lot of media barrier and beyond was, was going to be in the unique circumstance of like killing Steph Curry, which never happens. I mean, the, the guy's Teflon for the most part, uh, but that was a bad night at the office. They escape uh, and, and now they're in a great spot. You know, I do think game five wise, uh, this is a, a team that's been terrible on the road all year long, um, but those were competitive games in one and two. It didn't look like a team that just can't function on the road. Uh, it would not shock me to see the, the Warriors just finally completely wake up on the road and put a game together. And 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 the last thought for me on the King side, you mentioned Clay and does Clay have a, a, a bust out game? It's funny when Kevin Herter got drafted by the Hawks, Travis Schlank, former Warriors executive who already had Trey Young, you know, and this is an inexact comp, but like there was a degree of him viewing Kevin Herter as their Clay Thompson and that Trey was their Steph Curry. And Kevin has had a wonderful year for this Kings team. And he's a guy who can just get on, you know, stretches and, and heat up and do what Malik Monk does and then some. He's had a tough series, a really tough series. He's staying on the floor because he he is doing a little bit defensively, getting a few boards here and there. So he's like, I feel like he's been on the edge of almost losing his spot. 21 minutes not last shots. Only 21. How many? 21. 21. Yeah. I think he's shooting, uh, make sure I got this right. I think it's 15% from three Yeah, it's low. in the series. Like that's, they can't have him, you know, not have any moments. Uh, you know, he and he's had a couple here and there, but that's another guy who I think is, is out of the spotlight for this game. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to let us go on that. Vinny, I appreciate you, man. I know you had things happening in LA this morning. You're jumping on planes. I'm very excited. I didn't know you were coming this way. That's fantastic. It'll be I didn't know either until Sunday. I, I like it. I, me and you both are shocked. I, I like I was it. going home for a day. That's the oh well. So I'm excited to see you. You are not excited to see me. That's how it is. I, I look forward <laughs> to seeing you, Samick. I get in at at late afternoon today. So hopefully you can let me know where there's something to eat. No question. All right, Vinny, I got you, Slater. Thank you, brother. And to the listeners, as always, we'll talk to you next week. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.